Hello, hello, and welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Becky Campbell all about histamine intolerance and mast cell activation. Dr. Campbell is a board-certified doctor of natural medicine and author of the 30-Day Thyroid Reset Plan and the Four-Phase Histamine Reset Plan. She's been featured on multiple online publications like Mind Body Green, Bustle, Pop Sugar, and more. She's been the guest on the Mind Pump podcast, Harder to Kill Radio, and many others as a thyroid health and histamine intolerance expert. It was an absolute pleasure talking with her today all about histamine intolerance, as histamine is a huge topic related to several aspects of the body, like estrogen, migraines, digestive issues, skin issues, and more. Here's a clip from today's conversation. With histamine intolerance, there are certain foods that are actually high in histamine. So they're adding histamine to your body, or there's some foods that are breaking down the enzyme that helps us to break down histamine, or there are foods that are helping us to release the histamine that we already have. So regardless, you're getting more histamine in the body. And those foods will cause you to have an increase in your current symptoms or maybe even some new symptoms. And this is why with testing for histamine intolerance, I really like to just use food. I mean, why waste money on a test when there really is no good test for histamine intolerance? Because histamine in the blood is more of a methylation marker. It's not necessarily a histamine marker. So what I like to do is add these high histamine foods for like a couple of days to a week, depending on how long you can tolerate it for. And then seeing, do you have new symptoms coming up or are your current symptoms increasing? Then removing these high histamine foods and then are you starting to feel better? And just keep in mind, the food is not the only cause of this. So you're not going to remove these foods for most people and go, wow, I'm 100% but you want to just look for the needle to move. That's just a small taste of the amazing show we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health, and Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Dr. Becky Campbell, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited. I'm fangirling over you. I have your book behind me that you sent me. We've been social media friends for a while. And today we're going to talk about histamine, the one-on-one around histamine, which is actually perfect timing because at the time of recording this here in the Northwest, we're just getting our summer. And so everything is blooming and all my neighbors are cutting their grass. So histamine is a big topic, but I'm also in the middle of recording estrogen videos and histamine comes up a lot for estrogenic symptoms. So we're going to ask all the questions and pick your brain. Yes, let's do it. Before we get started, though, for those who don't know you and know you for your expertise, give us a little background, who you are, what you do, what you stand for. 
Okay. So I'm Dr. Becky Campbell and I started with functional medicine, like most functional medicine practitioners, because I was sick and could not find answers to my health issues. And it was years of looking until I finally figured out I actually had a thyroid issue. And because I never had a full thyroid panel, of course. And then I did and finally realized that was one thing going on with me. And then that was while I was in school. So of course, I kind of redirected what I wanted to focus on because of learning how gut health and diet and stress and hormone health all relates to how you're feeling. So then I probably 10 years later started to learn, you know, because I knew I was feeling better, but I wasn't feeling completely better. And I had weird symptoms, symptoms that I everyone would just brush off because nobody knew what they were including myself, I started to learn about mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance, and then realized I actually had mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance. And you don't have to have both, but I do have both. And so I learned a lot about that. And so when I was teaching a lot of people about thyroid, initially, I really started to dive into mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance because nobody was talking about it. And I knew that there had to be tons of people suffering with this and not understanding at all what was going on. And most likely their doctor didn't know either. So that's kind of been my primary focus. But I work with functional medicine. We work with everything. Everyone thinks I only know histamine or whatever, but no, we work with everything. We, we really just look for the underlying cause of it all. So that's kind of what got me to this. And then I love writing and I love being creative and I love infographics and stuff. So I wrote a couple of books. I'm on my fourth book now. That's my fourth book is actually going to be released later this year. But my third book that just came out is a, is a follow-up cookbook to my original histamine book. So you are a busy girl. <laughs> yeah, I am. If I'm not super busy, I'm bored, I guess. But <laughs> I have three kids and but you know how it is. (laughs) A full life. Well, I am excited to use you for your histamine expertise today because I think a lot of people, myself included back in the day, only associated histamine with typical allergies, seasonal allergies, things like that. So can you just give us the 101? Like, first of all, what is histamine? Yeah. And what does it do in the body? So histamine gets a bad rap because you hear the word antihistamine. That's really the only time you hear that word for the most part. But it's actually really important. So it's something, it's a chemical basically that's released by these cells called our mast cells. And when our body senses some type of danger, so an allergen or some potential pathogen like a virus or bacteria, we our immune system goes into action. And so our mast cells start releasing these inflammatory chemicals and histamine is one of them. So that allows our body to kind of get in there and find the pathogen and attack it. But histamine is also involved in digestion and it's involved in delivering messages between the body and the brain. So it's really, really important. The problem with histamine is not histamine. The problem is when you can't break down histamine once it's done its job. And it's very close to you're like the estrogen queen in my eyes. So it's very close to that. Like it's not that we don't need it, it's just that we don't need the excess amounts of it. And so when you do have that and you can't break it down and there's various reasons which we can go into, then you start to get symptoms kind of all over the body because we have histamine receptors all over the body. So wherever the histamine's getting in, it's going to cause a symptom if there's too much of it. So actually, let's start with that. What are typical symptoms we think of? And then what are symptoms that you see all the time you wouldn't think of, but right away yeah. you're like, oh, that's histamine. 
So typical symptoms would be migraines. A lot of people with histamine intolerance have migraines. And if you notice during your cycle that you get migraines during ovulation or the week leading up to your period, it could be an issue with histamine. We can dive into histamine and the estrogen relationship in a minute. But And then skin issues because we have a lot of mast cells in our skin. So you can have swelling. You can have some type of dermatitis like eczema, flushing. If you've ever been talking to someone and you'll notice they have like those red cheeks kind of all the time, or you're drinking wine and your cheeks turn red, or you feel that heat coming over you, that's kind of flushing. Hives can be... Some people have random hives and they have no idea why. And you don't have to have these hives, but this is just one sign. Vertigo is very common with histamine issues. And I know a lot of people post-COVID have vertigo and... We know a lot of people are talking about histamine and and the long haulers. So itching eyes or if you're eating and you get like that fullness or itchiness immediately in your ears, a lot of times that can be related to histamine overload kind of issue. Insomnia is really common because histamine wakes up the brain and histamine builds throughout the day. So when you get to nighttime, your histamine load is kind of big, especially if you're not breaking it down. So then when you go to go to sleep, and your brain is really wide awake, it can be because histamine is really exciting and waking up the brain. So another thing I see a lot is runny nose or congestion when eating. Or some people just have congestion all the time. And we know this can be really tied to the gut, but it can also be tied to histamine, just a buildup of histamine. And then it's something I really point out to people and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's true is Sometimes if you're eating something that's high in histamine and you get like a racing heart or even drinking alcohol and you get a racing heart, right? Because alcohol is super high in histamine, but alcohol is also going to make your heart race sometimes because it's really a stimulant overall. So those are more common symptoms. Some symptoms that people don't really think of is dermatographia. So what that is, is because I, how I said, we have those mast cells a lot in our skin people can sometimes draw like on their skin and it stays and that's dermatographia. Anxiety or panic attacks can be linked to histamine intolerance. That feeling of being allergic to the sun. People say I'm allergic to the sun and actually they kind of are and that can be a histamine issue. Or you can have an issue where when you're in really cold weather or really hot weather, your mast cells start is called degranulation. So they start dumping these inflammatory chemicals and you can feel really out of sorts when you're in cold or hot weather. So I think that those are probably some symptoms that may not be noticed or talked about as much as the others. You know, people are listening to this going, oh crap, that's me. I didn't didn't realize that's what I probably have. You mentioned it's histamine inability to break it down. How does the body break down histamine? How do we get rid of it? Yeah. So we use different enzymes. So the main enzyme we talk about is the DAO enzyme, which is mostly produced in the lining of the gut. And a lot of us have issues with our gut. So whether it's leaky gut or bacteria overgrowth or yeast overgrowth, parasites, whatever it is, that can cause us to break down that enzyme that helps us to break down histamine. We can have genetic mutations in our DAO enzyme. So, and you know, genetics are maybe 25% of the role that 
everything with genetics is maybe about 25%, right? You can kind of overcome some of it, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people do have that SNP and that enzyme, a couple of different enzymes actually that are genetics with genetics, like the MTHFR gene mutation is very common. So you don't, you're not methylating well, you're not able to push things out of the body well. And so people with histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome are very sensitive because they hold on to things. You can walk into a building with mold with your friend or significant other, and they may feel nothing and you may be falling apart. And that all has to do with how well you put, you get it in and take and push it out. So people with histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome tend to be very sensitive. So those are just some like key things to look for. So speaking of the gut, and you mentioned foods earlier or alcohol, like what is the difference or how can, how do you tell the difference between it's a histamine intolerance versus like a food intolerance or even a food allergy? How do you know? So I think that most food, let's say sensitivities, like food allergies are one thing that's you eat peanuts and you're an anaphylaxis and you need an EpiPen, right? True. Yeah. So most people, when we talk about food allergies, we're really talking about sensitivities and people are doing these food sensitivity tests. And I don't love that approach because I think that most food intolerances, I guess you could call them, come from poor gut health. Mm -hmm. So what we do in practice is we always check the gut first. We remove like the big hitters with everybody that we know they're going to cause inflammation in the body. But what we find is that if you check the gut and make sure that you work on the gut first, you then can tolerate a lot of foods. So that's a food sensitivity. It's your body is kind of not really, and those food sensitivities can change, right? So it's really like about gut permeability. So your body may see a food, think it's a foreign invader, tag it and attack it. And then that's going to give you a reaction. But again, that tends to be more linked to gut permeability issues. With histamine intolerance, there are certain foods that are actually high in histamine. So they're adding histamine to your body, or there's some foods that are breaking down the enzyme that helps us to break down histamine, or there are foods (laughs) that are helping us to release the histamine that we already have. So regardless, you're getting more histamine in the body. And those foods will cause you to have an increase in your current symptoms or maybe even some new symptoms. And this is why with testing for histamine intolerance, I really like to just use food. I mean, why waste money on a test when there really is no good test for histamine intolerance? Because histamine in the blood is more of a methylation marker. It's not necessarily a histamine marker. So what I like to do is add these high histamine foods for like a couple of days to a week, depending on how long you can tolerate it for. And then seeing, do you have new symptoms coming up or are your current symptoms increasing? Then removing these high histamine foods and then are you starting to feel better? And just keep in mind, the food is not the only cause of this. So you're not gonna remove these foods for most people and go, wow, I'm 100%, but you wanna just look for the needle to move, right? So. If that is the case, you most likely have a histamine intolerance. And for a while, while you're really looking for the underlying cause, you're going to remove those foods. 
So do you want me to go into what the foods are? Yeah. I was just like, (laughs) so (laughs) can you give us a list? (laughs) Yeah. So there's, I, so in my books, I have a yes, no, and maybe list because I really don't want to have people eating three foods. So the no lists are, are the big hitters. So I'm going to go over mostly that right now. So that would be alcohol, unfortunately, because it's fermented and fermentation causes that bacteria that produces histamine. And then so fermented foods like sauerkraut and all that type of stuff. And this is when you go on that keto diet or you go on just people talking about eat fermented foods are really good for your gut health. And they are but you do terrible with that. Mm -hmm. And that may be a sign you need to look into histamine intolerance. So fermented foods, vinegars, anything in vinegars. So like they put artichokes in vinegars, which artichokes are actually a low histamine food, but put it in vinegar and it's not. Olives, that type of stuff, pickles, any of that kind of thing. And there are like, there's a scale with vinegars. So like white distilled vinegar and apple cider vinegar are lower on the scale. And so I do have people try those. And then like balsamic and red wine vinegar are typically at the top. So, and then some citrus fruits and some people will do really well with lemon, but they'll do terrible with oranges. So those again, I have you try. (laughs) Everyone hates when I say this, but avocado. (laughs) No. I know it can really, it can bother you. So one thing that used to happen to me is I would eat avocado and I would get this like crawling sensation on my scalp. And I'm like, what is that? I thought at one point I had a brain tumor, but it was, it, that was just a sign of my histamine intolerance. So spinach, if you're making those smoothies and you're putting strawberry, banana, spinach, and whatever, and like uh, bone broth protein, and you're feeling weird, that those are all high in histamine. So spinach, strawberries, bananas, and then there's like some spices, cinnamon, curry. Those are kind of the biggest ones. So those are like the most, the things I'm concerned about the most. Some people do tell me they're like, I'll talk about collagen and like bone broth. Again, we had the big bone broth movement and the collagen movement. And those are great. They're really great for a lot of people. But the people were telling me like, I put a scoop of whatever brand collagen in my tea or coffee and I was getting bad dandruff or itchy scalp or whatever. I removed it and it went away. Well, it's aged. Mm -hmm. So anything aged. So when you talk about meat and I am definitely not against meat, I eat plenty of meat. You just want it to be fresh. So you want to literally talk to the companies you're getting it from. Let's say you're using ButcherBox, which is a really well-known company, right? You want to know how long from slaughter of the animal to freezing did you let the meat sit, right? And I do really like that company because they do have a very fast process. And then you need to let it thaw and cook it. And then you need to refreeze like leftovers because... With meat, the longer it sits, the more histamine it's releasing. So this is why cooking things in the slow cooker are not a good idea. And why my new book is all Instant Pot because it's very quick. So if you're cooking things really quickly, you're not getting all that histamine release. So that's just something really important to know. And that's why people don't do really well with leftovers. So if you have, let's say you make, I don't know, chicken salad or whatever it is, and you are leaving that in the fridge for four days and eating off it, you're probably going to have an issue 
And I can say that that's one of the things that clears up the quickest. Once you get to the root of it, you can start to eat leftovers. Like I eat leftovers all the time. But there was a time where I had to freeze everything and take it out right before I cooked it and all that. So there's that's what I walk you through in my books. I walk you through like how to get from step one to step five, like and feel okay again. But yeah, those are kind of the biggest pointers I have with food. And the leftovers is because of the development of histamine, right? right. Yeah. In the bacteria, the food. Even though it's not E. coli, it's totally normal, typical bacteria. They still Yeah. Safe, safe bacteria yeah. for people. Almost everything has bacteria <laughs> right. in it. But yeah. And another trick is to wash your meat before you, and not with soap, but like rinse it and dry it <laughs> before you cook it. And that can help rinse off some of that bacteria too that's been sitting there. You're crushing dreams right now. All the people who are listening <laughs> to this with their strawberry spinach avocado smoothies, they're I sipping know. on their bone broth. <laughs> I used to drink that smoothie every day. And Bone broth, I do have to say that in my first histamine book, I do give a low histamine bone broth recipe because I like soups. So, and I use bone broth as the base. But if you just cook it in the instant pot for two hours versus cooking in the slow cooker for 24 hours, it's a huge difference. Huge. Hmm. So, a lot of people can tolerate that. All right. So, now let's say we're, somebody's listening to this. We're all listening to this going, oh, crap, that's me. Once you start to put the puzzle pieces together of, I do eat these foods, I am getting these symptoms, I didn't realize how they go hand in hand, then what do you do? Then what do you do with this? Do you eliminate these foods forever? Are there ways you can support breaking down histamine? Is this where we get into the gut health support? Yeah. So there's a lot of different underlying causes of this. So mass activation syndrome is one. Which actually, let's go into that because that's being, I'm hearing that, of course, a whole lot lately. Yeah. And I'm seeing it more in social media. I'm obviously learning about it more in conferences. You talk about it. What does that mean? So basically, mast cell activation syndrome is where our mast cells are supposed to release these inflammatory chemicals when there's a real threat, like a pathogen. What happens with mast cell activation syndrome is they become very nervous (laughs) and they release chemicals under things that really aren't threats, necessarily like cold weather or smelling a perfume, which actually kind of is a threat, but you know what I'm saying. So we can be very sensitive to chemicals where other people don't even smell what you're smelling or anything like that. So with mast cell activation syndrome, you're much more sensitive. Your mast cells are much more sensitive. They release these inflammatory chemicals. Histamine is one of them in response to whatever they are perceiving as a threat. And they perceive more things as a threat than actually are. So they're dumping these inflammatory chemicals at times when they really don't need to. So that's kind of the best way to explain what mast cell activation syndrome is. And and just so you know, you can have mast cell activation syndrome without a histamine intolerance because histamine is one chemical that it releases, mast cells release. There are other chemicals. So you may be okay with histamine, but it, it I don't see I don't see those two separate very often. And then besides that, you can, you know, all the gut issues that we talked about and then vitamin deficiencies even. So like vitamin B6, it really helps to DAO, that enzyme to break down histamine. Copper and vitamin C help to produce that DAO enzyme. But I very, I really caution against taking copper without knowing if you need it. Have testing done to know if you need to take copper because a lot of us, a lot of people have copper, too much copper. 
So especially with like the IUD and like the different ways we can get copper overload. So irritable bowel disease, again, you're having that lining of the gut is in trouble. So you're not going to produce enough of that enzyme that breaks down histamine. Then those gene mutations that we talked about, mold. Mold is a huge trigger for histamine intolerance or mast cell activation syndrome because Mold is a threat and our mast cells are going to dump a ton of histamine when you're around mold. And then EMF exposure. I've really found a lot lately that EMF exposure really aggravates those mast cells. And so those are kind of the main things, estrogen dominance. So estrogen dominance is a really big hitter. And I see this all the time. We do the Dutch test in my office and we always are looking for the underlying cause of, of whatever it is that they come to us for. But when it's a histamine intolerance, and I would say probably, I don't know, 60 to 75% of people have estrogen dominance that have histamine intolerance. So, and do you want me to go into like why? Yeah, I was going to say, explain why. Yeah. So, okay. There's histamine and estrogen can actually bind to the same receptor site. So when histamine binds to the receptor site, you're, you get histamine in there. But when estrogen binds, to that H1 receptor site, which is on the mast cells, it can cause an increase in histamine release. So then when we have estrogen dominance, when that estrogen is not being cleared out properly, they're going to have more histamine being released. So we have these patients or people we, we talk to that have a lot of estrogen and they're just don't, they don't clear it properly. So they're releasing a lot more histamine than someone who doesn't have that issue. So, and then this can give you a lot of symptoms and it can really, a lot of people will have some symptoms really dominant during ovulation and, and that week before their period. But then when you have the estrogen dominance, if this is what's driving it, you can actually have it all the time. And then you might notice just even worse during that time. And I think this is huge too, because a lot of practitioners don't ask about that pre-ovulatory or ovulatory time. We all focus on PMS. How's your PMS? How's your period? How is it the week before your period? But I find you probably do too. Being in the hormone realm, the amount of comments and DMs I get from women who say, oh my gosh, nobody ever asked me about the middle of my cycle. The middle of my cycle is awful. I get these two, I have a, whatever their symptoms are, let's say migraines or hives or allergy type symptoms or whatever it is. They're like, oh, I get it once and then it goes down and then I get it again. And I'm like, ah, yeah. does it follow your cycle? <laughs> because yes. yeah. it's very estrogen related. And we aren't taught that our estrogen, in order to ovulate in the middle of our cycle, we have to have a big estrogen surge. It's a normal right. physiologic response. So we get this huge estrogen surge, but if we don't clear it or if we have what did you describe? Mass sensitive mast cells, mm-hmm. delicate mast cells, like a bubble that pop very easily. Then we're more prone to all these histamine symptoms with it. It's very true. Yeah, and I see a lot of bladder related symptoms too with ah. histamine and mast cells because we have a lot of mast cells on our around our bladder, around our lungs. So this is why asthma can be connected to it. This is why post COVID, some people can have breathing issues long term. But a lot of people have like a really irritable bladder and we have a lot of mast cells in our bladder. So if we're constantly releasing those inflammatory chemicals, we're going to have that irritated feeling in the bladder a lot. Which is really common for women, but men too, oh, yeah. quite honestly, for everybody. Yeah. But nobody thinks to ask. And if you've had it for a long time, 
it becomes your normal, right? So you just think I have an overactive bladder. I have a very sensitive bladder. I am just prone to this bladder irritation, especially if it's like ever since kids. Like, well, I've had this bladder irritation ever since kids. And so you get blown off and that's not fair. So I love that you're bringing this up. Yeah. Yeah. We see a lot of it in our practice too. And we see a lot of that tied to gut issues too, with the bladder being really irritated and they're getting constant UTIs. And then they also have like gut infections. And then when we clear up one, we can kind of clear up both. Which makes it really nice. Actually, speaking of your practice, let's say somebody comes in, like what is your typical workup? If somebody were to come into your practice, they're listening to this or they've read your books or follow you on social media and they're like, all right, enough's enough. I need to get worked up. Like, how do you start? What can somebody expect? So we have a very specific protocol. So, and based on bio-individuality, let's just Mm -hmm. say that, because some people can't eat, they can eat three foods and they can't tolerate any supplements. So we're going to do brain retraining and gentle detox with you, right? But that's not the majority. So the majority is going to come and they're going, we're going to take a really deep history and talk to you about everything. And then we will typically put someone on some support for the liver. We want, because we know that they don't push toxins out well, we're probably going to teach them about gentle detox methods, like let's say dry brushing, castor oil packs, Epsom salt baths, whatever, infrared saunas. And then while they're doing that, while they're getting their liver kind of ready, like, ooh, we're going to start working good now. Then while they're doing that, we're also reducing the high histamine foods. This is if they are histamine intolerant or mast cell activations in our patient. And then we're going to give them about a month of that. And while they're doing that, they're waiting on their tests to come back. So the testing that we typically do is a really thorough blood panel, the GI map stool test, and then the Dutch test. And if someone I know they have mold, I'm still going to wait on that because I want to get the other things going first. I don't do five, six, seven tests at once. It's ridiculous. I don't know why people do that, but you can't work on all that stuff at once. So why would you do all that at once? So, and then they will, they follow up with our nutritionist. She makes sure they're eating okay and they're feeling okay with what they're eating and all that. And then they have a case review. And during the case review, we take about an hour. We go over all their testing really thoroughly. We explain it to them so that they understand everything. And then we get them started on whatever we think is priority. And we kind of work through that. And we do everything in protocols. You know, It's like, okay, this is going to take about 60 days. We're going to do this for 60 days. And then we're going to retest that test. Make sure that's gone. So let's say you have a yeast overgrowth and an opportunistic bacteria overgrowth. We're going to do about 60 to 90 days of some antimicrobials and some supportive stuff. And then we're going to retest it and make sure it's gone. And then we're going to move on and we're going to say, okay, now let's do some support for the cortisol or for the whatever estrogen dominance, whatever it is. And sometimes if it's really bad, we'll do that right up in the beginning too, because we know they need to clear things in order to even heal their gut and vice versa. Right. So it really just depends on the person. And then if they're not feeling okay at that point, which I can say is about 5% of people, then we'll start looking further. We'll start looking into mold in the body or chronic viruses or maybe some heavy metals. But I almost never have to do that because first of all, the patients we work with are so compliant and they really want to get better. And typically once you work on the gut and you start opening up some detox pathways and really giving them support with that and reducing inflammation with the diet, 
they feel really good. So it usually is all it takes, but everyone's different. So we're prepared for anything. (laughs) I love that's amazing. And actually, I want everyone listening just to know how thorough it is. So before somebody listening to this sends an email in and says, well, what's the one supplement? What's the one supplement that will stop histamine from being released or causing all my problems? Uh, Just know there isn't the one supplement. Sure, there are supplements out there. There are antihistamine medications there. I mean, there are a variety of options to choose from, but it's not one ring to rule them all. It's definitely a multi-pronged approach is what you're saying. It definitely is. And one word on antihistamine medication that I like everyone to know is some people do need them. Like if they're super, super sensitive, maybe for a little bit, but overall antihistamine medications reduce your DAO enzyme. So it reduces your body's ability to break down the histamine yourself. And it tricks your body into thinking you don't have, you're not producing histamine. So it makes you produce more. So that is not the fix for this. That may be if you're the person that tolerates two foods and you can't breathe air because it makes it sets you off. Yes, you may need to do the H1 and H2 blockers, but it is that is typically not my approach. I typically work really getting to why. Why is this happening? And that's how you get it to stop. And to really with histamine intolerance, you can completely get it to go away. With mast cell activation syndrome, you can get it to be really, really good. And you know your triggers and you just stay away from them. (laughs) (laughs) It's more of a management, mast cell activation syndrome management. But that's super encouraging because I think a lot of people, at least I see on social media and as I'm scrolling through comments sometimes, you know, people are at their wit's end. They've really been symptomatic for a while. It's really affecting their life and they feel very hopeless. And so it's really nice when you have so much positive outcome. Yeah. Whether you're explaining how it works or your typical patient visit or where you're like, oh, that's like less than 5% or that's not very common. So it's not that it's impossible, but there's so much positivity when you're talking about how you handle histamine. Yeah. And that's what, that's my goal. I really want to teach people. And because I've been bed bound thinking I was dying from mold because what it was doing to my mast cells. And I remember not caring if I had another day, honestly, like that was where I was. So I know that there, and we work with so many people in the same position. So I want you to know there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's why I dance around on reels and act like a big dork and stuff because I'm good and I feel good. And I, and I want people to know like there's life after this and you can feel happy again and feel like yourself again and have fun and all that stuff and not feel so restricted and everything. And it can get a lot, lot better. Amen to that. Well, (laughs) so on that note, given that this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast, I am all about practical and tactical. Give the listeners like one or two, three things you want them to make sure they remember at the end of this podcast. They're going to leave this. If they're, no, they're like, man, histamine, that's me. I probably should get worked up. What is a couple of things they can take home right now? So stress is a huge factor in all this and everything, right? Dang it. <laughs> so, But you can really learn effective tools to help manage stress or manage the way you perceive stress. And I think that that's what you say free, cheap, easy, like that type of stuff, right? So that's something that you can do that doesn't cost a lot of money. And if you're in a relationship or whatever, something that you can change that you know is really driving your stress, you maybe look at that and like take it seriously because it's probably at the root of a lot of your issues. 
and going low histamine with food. It doesn't have to be forever for most people, but the reward is so great. So just try it and see how you feel. And if you go into it with more of a positive outlook, you're probably going to do a lot better. And just kind of think about the foods that you can have versus the foods that you can't have. That can be really helpful. And just take it one day at a time and you really can get better. And this is with my first book. So we mentioned my Instant Pop book, but I have my first book. So this is like the little roadmap, right? To histamine, the four-phase histamine reset plan. I really go through and I say, if working with a practitioner, do this. If doing this alone, do this. Because I know not everybody can work with a practitioner. So I give you as many tools as I can to do on your own. And then if you are working with a practitioner, like things to think to ask them for. That is brilliant because we just know, unfortunately, in the way of the world, sometimes it's not always accessible or affordable to work with a practitioner. So the fact that you do put so much free content out there and the fact that you have this book with those options is amazing. So how can people find you? Where can they learn more from you? Where do they buy your books, your podcast, all the things? So drbeckycampbell.com is my website. And I do have a podcast called The Health Babes Podcast. We talk a lot about different stuff, but we do hit histamine a couple of times. And then I'm very active on Instagram, just at Dr. Becky Campbell. And those are probably the biggest places you can find me. My books are all on Amazon or any place that books are sold. And that's it. And her podcast is wonderful. I've been a guest. I highly recommend it. Yes, she has. <laughs> she is a very popular guest, I have to say. And I love that <laughs> I can have you on the Root Cause Medicine podcast. So Dr. Becky Campbell, thank you so much for being on today and laying all the groundwork for histamine. I know I'm going to have you on again. I know there are going to be a lot of questions about next level stuff around histamine as people are starting to take what you've said apply it to their life and realize that, oh no, histamine really is a problem for me. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And thank you everybody for listening. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.